Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Thibaut, founder and CEO of Maltese, a crypto finance management platform that's raised over $9 million in funding. Thibaut, thanks for chatting with me today. I'm super happy to be here. And could you go ahead and pronounce your last name for us? I know it's a tricky one. <laughs> it's, it's pronounced Sahagian. It's not a French name. It's actually an Armenian name. Tiny, tiny country east of Turkey. Nice. Perfect. Well, glad you said that and I didn't have to. Makes things a lot easier to start things <laughs> off. <laughs> so let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, sure. Very simply, I'm the CEO of Maltis. So Maltis is providing, you know, USD checking accounts, uh, corporate cards, and Web3 financial tooling to Web3 builders. That's what we do. So I've started the company a couple of years back, uh, maybe a few words before that, which, you know, will explain a lot what we're doing here. Uh, and I guess we'll dig deeper on that. So initially, you know, investment banking stuff, pretty boring stuff, actually, left everything to join a politician running for president in France. Now, the cool thing about those two experiences, though, is that, you know, it gave me exposure to crypto, first as a speculative assets, and second as, you know, a tool for empowerment. I used to work closely with people in the civic tech space, people working on, you know, fraud-resistant voting systems built on Bitcoin at the time. We're talking 2014, 2015 here. And, you know, that's how I realized how a tool of empowerment crypto could be, not just as speculative assets. And this idea of empowerment is really core to what we do. That's why we started the company. We wanted to empower people. We wanted to empower entrepreneurs here, you know, to embrace fully Web3, to build a better web. And the first step towards this vision is actually to provide them with the tools they need, especially financial tools, so that they can, you know, focus on growing the business. Nice. And a follow-up question there. So it sounds like you're a crypto OG. What was it about crypto that really attracted you initially and you made you realize that it was something that you wanted to focus on, you know, so early on? Because 2014 was, you know, way, way before it was in the mainstream. Yeah, what well, I guess, you know, building up on my previous, I mean, it's all based on the people you meet, right? I guess I was fortunate to meet somebody called Richard Caetano, who's actually, uh, so he's from California originally. And, you know, he was, he's been an OG as well, but like even longer than I have been. And he, he was the one actually helping me understand how you could use a tech for the greater good. So, you know, rapidly, my understanding of crypto went beyond, I can make money out of it, right? And can you really help me understand, uh, go deep, meet those entrepreneurs uh, working with those very early, early smart contracts at the time, you know, what we call color coins, for example. And I guess that was the first step. And the second step, and this is my point, he actually was fortunate to join him in his uh, blockchain company. We used to call it the blockchain company, not the Web3 company, a crypto company at the time. Raised some funds with the, with the NASDAQ, with some cool LPs in France and in the US. And that's how we actually, you know, realized that we could make this you know, blockchain thing, not only a tool for empowerment, like generally speaking, but like a B2B solution for companies. And this intersection of, you know, a cool tech, you know, something that could really have an impact on greater good and, you know, a B2B product that could actually, you know, enable me to talk to fellow founders and builders in the space, you know, really convinced me this was the way to go for me. 
Nice. I love it. And we're going to dive deeper into the company here soon. But two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. Is there a CEO that you're following the most right now and trying to learn from? You mean beyond the, the Binance and FTX CEOs? <laughs> yeah, I should add that. And sorry, we have to rule out Elon Musk as well. Those are the only three that oh, you yeah. can't, uh, can't name here. No SBF, no CZ, no Elon Musk. Yeah. Who do you want me to talk about then, Brad? Uh, <laughs> I guess one of the, I don't know whether this is the most inspiring to me, but this is really somebody, well, yeah, it is somebody who inspired me and has been inspiring me a lot. So I'd like to talk about Robert, uh, Robert Leshner, the you know, Compounds Lab CEO. So he was the founder who initially, you know, created the company behind the Compound Protocol. So I don't know if everybody's familiar here with the, with the, with what Compound does, but basically they were, I guess, the first or among the first smart contracts protocols to build truly decentralized money markets. You know, in a nutshell, you basically, you, they enable people to actually borrow and lend in a fully decentralized fashion without relying on existing banks. And this was a game changer for the whole thing because it sparked this whole DeFi revolution in 2017. What I love about this guy, first, I love him because he invested in a company. <laughs> I have to say that. And it was really <laughs> one of the early, early backers of the company. He really believed in the vision we have. But I'd say that it, he is the, probably the, the best example of somebody who is a visionary, but not only in terms of tech as an enabler, but as tech, I mean, uh, you know, his vision went way beyond that. He wanted to revolution markets, but with a really, really focused and practical use case, which is, hey, I want to borrow. I want to lend super easy without relying on a bank and, you know, spending, you know, hours and hours and talking to my banking manager and able to get this loan. So he had a practical use case. He was visionary. He really, 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 really grinded hard to make this vision happen. He was the first one to actually, you know, build a successful protocol in that space. And it's been, it's been, you know, like at the forefront of the revolution that we're all trying to participate in. He has this thing that he always tells, focus, execution, win. And I think this is an inspiring leader for, for more so, you know, the CEOs in that space, in the web space at least. Nice. I feel like that applies to all entrepreneurs. Focus, execution, win. I could see that as a tattoo. Absolutely. It's so easy to forget. I love that. Let's talk about books. Is there a single book that you can think of that's had the greatest impact on you as a founder? So many of them. I guess one of the ones I'd like to talk about, and I won't talk about too much about it because people should read it. It's called The Ascent of Money from Neil Ferguson. So he's an um, academic historian, right? Uh, so he talks about how money-shaped words and how, you know, banking system initially emerged in Northern Italy in the 14th century, how we, you know, we basically financialized our society and how we made money at the basis of everything, like especially human relationships. And he has actually a very nice chapter that I, you know, won't spoil about Ethereum, where he explains why this is so important. So this is one book I'd like to mention. The second one is a very uncertainty book I love as a founder, which is, and I always forget the title of this book, but it's a book from by Camilla Russo. She's the founder of the Defiant, which is a crypto media. It's basically talking about the, the genesis of Ethereum and how you know people like Vitalik, uh, Joe Lublin banded together to build what we currently build up. This is a really inspired book. This is really well written, super easy to understand, not too technical. So yeah, I would recommend it to anybody um, you know, interested in the space. Nice. I feel like it's hard to not be interested in this space right now with, uh, with everything going sure. on. And on that note, let's talk about what's going on. So it's been a uh, wild 24 hours in crypto. I thought you weren't going to show for the interview and I was going to just be totally understanding because of you know everything that's happening. So what's your take on you know the 
situation with FTX, Binance? You know, what are your views on you know what's happening and how this is all going to play out for the crypto ecosystem? So, you know, I'm not going to talk about risk management here. I think we have people with way, way more skills than I have. What I feel is that crypto is like heavily driven by greed. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point we're witnessing a situation where people you know, forgot everything about good practices when it comes to risk management, you know, fueled by growth and greed and greed and greed. And we had, and so many examples, like it's just like another Celsius, another blog fight where you're trying to, I guess in a way, it's like you're operating as a bank, but you're not, and you're, you're not regulated as one. So you're able to take risk. And for all those centralized players, you should have more regulations. You should have regulations in place to protect customers. Now, you might find surprising that I'm actually advocating for more regulations, but at least regulations give clarity and certainty. So it means that we can actually go back to building our businesses. Now, one of the things, and this is a very biased take on this whole, I think we can decently call it the shit show. My take is, it's another proof that you need decentralization, right? If you think about it, one of the reasons why those guys you know, went bust, and I'm talking about FTX and the others, is because they had very opaque books. There's no transparency there. Nobody knew what they were doing with their customers' assets. And, you know, I feel like what we're building, and we could talk about a product later, we're really proud to be building with self-custody, which means we're actually empowering, again, this idea of empowerment. So we're empowering users, customers, B2B customers here to actually manage the assets themselves, right? So they won't have to suffer from very risky investment practices that those guys clearly implemented. So this is a very biased tech, but this is another example that self-custody is the future, is a good way to actually mitigate third-party risk. And, and we're actually super happy to be building with this kind of tech. I'd say last piece, you know, in that same vein, uh, I'd say, each time there's such an event, each time there's such a controversy around centralized exchanges, there's a clear benefit for decentralized exchanges. Volumes naturally flow from those guys when people are able to withdraw funds to decentralized exchanges for the very same reasons I mentioned. So, you know, I do believe, and that's probably part of the last part of your question, I do believe that in the end, this is going to be extremely positive for the whole thing, for the whole ecosystem, because it helps people understand that crypto is a change of paradigm and that we should, you know, manage those assets differently as we do manage USD or, you know, stocks or, you know, those legacy asset class, this legacy asset class. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think people are ever going to learn though? Because you know, like Mount Gox was what a decade ago or eight years ago mm-hmm. now, and you know that was obviously a big deal at the time. But in comparison to FTX, it was nothing. I think it was like four hundred million, which is you know obviously a large sum. But FTX, I think I read earlier that it could be like six to ten billion, which is you know insane. Do you think people are ever going to learn, or do they just you know end up reverting back to whatever's easiest? And today, centralized exchanges are the easiest. We see a clear trend here. For small amounts, centralized exchanges, especially for B2C, is the way to go. Mm-hmm. It's easy. The UX is great. Um, but when it comes to larger transactions, larger amounts, there is growth in decentralized space. If you look at centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges, there's a clear trend towards these guys, the new folks building decentralized in the decentralized fashion. Look at Uniswap. Uniswap growth has been way bigger than the overall space growth. So where do you think they got their clients from? They've been outgrowing Coinbase by like 10 times. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's like, that the space, especially for larger amounts, 
is maturing. And hopefully there won't be another FTX where the vast majority of token holders and, and investors are actually B2B players, traders, professional mm-hmm. traders, investment companies, not like on Coinbase where it's more likely to see. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we'll learn. And I'd say that, uh, and if you read this book by Neil Ferguson, you'll see how many crises we've been through in order to have a robust you know, financial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this could be debated as well. So I do think that the learning curve is extremely positive here. I mean, I'm hopeful. But again, I'm biased because I'm a builder in the space, right? <laughs> I think it's good to be hopeful, right? If you had answered that and said you have no hope, that would be a, a pretty concerning interview. Yeah, I don't have a very extreme view on this. What I feel, though, is that we will have a world where finance is increasingly hybrid between centralized and decentralized use cases. And that's the kind of world that we're building at Maltis with this kind of hybrid account where we can manage both your assets in a self-custodial way with crypto and in a more traditional way with USD. Nice. Well, let's take this and let's pivot to talk about you know your product and, and what you guys are building there. So I know you touched on it there at the start of the interview, but to just do a high-level pitch, you know, let's say that I'm a you know, Web3 company. What's the pitch that you're making for me to use your product? You know, we're Web3 banking for Web3 builders. So you can actually, you know, open an account in 10 minutes, get your card, USD checking accounts, and exchange going in less than half a day. That's my pitch. If you look at the space now, opening a bank account as a Web3 company is hell. Opening an, open, opening an, uh, an exchange account, it's even harder. You need months. We, you know, we, we received an investment from Coinbase and we've never been able to open an account there. So my pitch to founders is you need a partner in that space because crypto is in jungle. You need the finance, you need the basics, you know, to get started. You need to be able to store, to manage, to spend your funds indifferently, whether it's, it is, you know, USD or crypto. And I do think that we have the, the most, you know, Web3 native banking solution out there. So it should be a no-brainer for you. Get started with us. You won't regret it. <laughs> I like the pitch. And what types of companies are you or organizations are you targeting? Is it, you know, like a couple of, you know, guys sitting there with a startup? Is it a, you know, company that's raised 10 million? What does that typically look like for the ideal target market where they really feel this pain and they can afford to pay someone to help them solve it? Well, I do think that where we deliver the most value today is it's probably for early companies, early early stage companies. So probably companies between you know two guys grinding in the basement to like we were like uh, to you know people of like ten to fifteen people raising the seed round or you know grinding towards the Series A. So this will be the natural fit for us because we provide the basic you need to get started and grow your business. Now we're increasingly attracting. Um, more mature company, Series A, Series B, Series C, because they, you know, beyond the basic, they need more advanced crypto tools, which we've been able to build as well. So by crypto tools, you know, I'm talking about mass payouts. I'm talking to run a payroll. I'm talking about, you know, reporting features because crypto is about several networks, several assets, hundreds of them. So you need to have like different tooling than what you could find with two solutions. So we see more and more of those guys popping in. But you know, coming to my previous point, I do think that the natural fit for us right now is more smaller companies who need basics to go back to business. Makes a lot of sense. And is there a non-crypto company that you think is most similar to you? I know there's a lot of companies you know, in the spend management category, for example. Are there any companies that are non-crypto that seem very relevant to that product vision that you have? Well, for this very for this subset of uh, of early adopters, I would say that Mercury is the main uh, is the first company that comes to mind. 
they provide the basics. And then as soon as you, you know, hit the seed, they provide you with additional tools to scale the company, like, you know, QuickBooks integrations, and they have an amazing UX, and they can actually prove you quite fast as well. So I guess, you know, that's the natural competition for us. The main differentiator being, of course, that we are working native. So we, we, you know, we provide you with an exchange as well so that you can spend directly from your crypto assets. And this is extremely important for companies, founders uh, investigating or willing to launch a token because we do offer you liquidity from, you know, Uniswap, Paraswap, so that you can actually sell out your token against USD and pay the rent. So this will be the, yeah, Mercury will be the, the more, the first company that comes to mind. Brags and Ram.com are two amazing products. I'm a huge fan, but I'd say that they are more, you know, especially Ram.com, they're targeting with the excess management features, they are more, they're targeting like especially bigger companies. We'll, we'll go there, but not, it's not a direct competitor yet. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And another question for you. Did you launch the company in 2018 or was it 2019? So we launched in 2019. We incorporated the company in May or June 2019. Got it. So that was, was that considered the bear market or what was happening in the crypto world in 2019? Oh, that was bear market. I remember the first pitch we made in San Francisco before joining YC. There was so much skepticism, even throughout YC though. Uh, a lot of skepticism because I, you know, a lot of people got burned during 2017 in the ICO craze. So there was a lot of, you know, the whole crypto space was seen as a scam, right? And there was little understanding of the potential use cases that, you know, many builders, ourselves included, were trying to build. So 2019 was not a good time to raise, I can tell you this. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that's super relevant today. You know, that's the the talk that I hear, not just in the crypto world, but in the general startup tech venture capital world that, you know, investors are just kind of, you know, issuing out these statements to founders to remind them that, many of the greatest companies that exist today were built in bear markets. So now is the time Absolutely. to build if you want to go out and build. And, you know, we, we love this at Maltis. We, you know, bull markets, you know, creates euphoria. You get excited because you see the value of your portfolio increasing. You know, everything seems so easy and it's get distracted so, so fast from the core reason, the core mission that you're actually, you know, executing, that you should be executing on. So bear markets are usually the best way to build those, you know, well, those building blocks, you know, just be ready for the next bull market. And this is clearly what we do at Multis here. Nice. I love that. And as you guys were planning the company, were you tempted to go after consumers? Because I feel like most of the crypto companies I see are, are targeting consumers. And I don't see that many that are taking a B2B approach. Was that a big decision for you to make? No, no, never has. The reason is simple. And I, I think i probably, you know, touch upon that at the beginning of the uh, of our conversation. I love B2B. I love B2B because this is how you meet fellow founders, entrepreneurs, builders. And it's pretty much like, it's probably like you, Brett, when, when you talk to people in, in, in your podcast, those founders, those entrepreneurs are full of energy. They're super optimistic. They believe in the future. They believe in what they're building. And this energy is like contagious. And I love it. It is the best way to learn. It is the best. I love meeting those founders and being able to, you know, craft a product that delivers true value to them. I love to see, you know, stars in their eyes. I love to be able to build relationship with them, which is something which I feel is harder with B2C because you're talking about your business is about numbers much faster, right? You're doing surveys. You don't talk to people. I mean, you do, but in a less obvious, less obvious way. So that really, that was never a question. And there's, there was always this belief that, yeah, we're early to the market, but this was an available as well. 
you know, if you have B2C, if you have consumers using crypto, well, you necessarily have businesses providing services to them, which means these people need banking solutions as well. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I feel a very similar way when it comes to B2B. I like B2B because then I'm essentially just marketing and selling to myself, which I can wrap my head around. If it goes to B2C, yeah. then yeah, I, I can't understand what's really inside the mind of the modern consumer, especially if you look at it at scale of, you know, what's inside the mind of, you know, 50 million consumers. Like, I have no idea, but I do know it's inside my own brain. So as long as I stick with B2B, it seems to work pretty well. And I like the fact that B2B seems more resilient when you crack it. When you get to product market fit, when you manage to have customers loving you, you get ingrained in their operational setups, in their workflows. And that's how you actually can, you can build a, a brand that lasts and that doesn't suffer from, well, bear markets, for example. Makes a lot of sense. Totally agree with that. So on the note of, you know, just surviving and, and hopefully thriving, are there any numbers or metrics you can share in terms of the traction and adoption that you're seeing with customers? We have about 300 users right now, companies on the product, using the solution every month to run the payroll, to exchange, to spend the cards. A significant part of them were, you know, our beta testers. And I'm actually super proud that we managed to maintain them engaged with the product over the months. We've had people like Odious, we have people like, you know, Axe Infinity, we've had people like, uh, you know, Connext. So really like flagship companies in the space. And well, we're actually grateful that they provided, you know, so many insights that help us build a product. Nice. Very cool. And what are you guys doing to really break through all the noise? Obviously the crypto space, you know, full of noisy companies. What I've you know, seen is Crypto startups and companies tend to be you know, pretty good at marketing, at least compared to you know, traditional enterprise B2B marketing. So what are you guys doing to really you know, rise above all that noise and stand out and acquire customers? Right now, we're doing the obvious. Uh, we're reaching out to founders you know, directly. So it's mostly around you know, direct sales. We're trying to build relationships here. We're still you know, fortunate to be in that phase. And I'd say that marketing is not such a big thing with us for now. You know, we'll be trying to build communities around, you know, the main pain points that founders, you know, have to go through when they when they build their, their businesses. But for now, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, Miltis is rocking it in terms of marketing. We're like very traditional, need to be SaaS sales, you know, driven company. Well, I appreciate the honesty there. I think most people there would take <laughs> that chance to brag. Oh, you know, we're crushing here. We're doing this. We're doing that. So I appreciate the honesty. And yeah, it sounds like it's working for you guys. So that makes a lot of sense. As you've you know, brought this idea to market, what would you say has been your greatest challenge and how'd you overcome that challenge? I guess that the first biggest challenge we've had, I can tell you about two. The first one, and this ties back to being you know, early on the market, we had to educate people. We didn't have enough founders acquainted to Web3. We didn't have enough, well, Web3 companies to start with. Uh, so we had to do education. And one of the big learning here is that, you know, if you have to do education around your product or your services, it means that you are, that you have no time product market fit and you are actually far from it. And we probably spend too much time doing this. So that's the first challenges. The second was, was to be at the forefront of this tech revolution. We, I mean, we built crazy things. We built layers, we built smart contracts before deciding that some of the people were better at this than we were. What we're doing here is aggregating the best services and smart contracts they are to offer a magical experience to our B2B customers. 
So probably took us too much time to do this as well. You know, being the first to integrate with Compound, being the first to build a layer to get rid of gas fees, being the first to do this and that and this and that. Well, we made so many technical mistakes. We never lost our customers' funds because this has always been a priority for us. But we made like many, 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 many mistakes when it comes to build a great product. So this was another challenge. Pick the right smart contracts. Pick the right tools, but never be the first one to do so. Um, that must be very hard to do, right? As a founder in this emerging space, you know, how do you know what smart contracts to choose, which tools to use? It's all so new. Oh yeah, I feel like there's no playbook, yeah. right? There's no blog post you can just go and read. And there's none. Figure. There's none. I mean, uh, you know, I'd say that, uh, especially when it comes to admin and, and finance stuff, not necessarily building. Well, it's actually true for product development as well. A lot of the the good practices you've seen with two applies, but you need web three tooling to do so. How do you manage a community, right? For example, to to get feedback your product you know the crypto space is heavily community driven so how do you actually leverage these amazing people you know with your product how do you get this feedback well this is this is a new paradigm and, and none of the tooling that you have in web 2 applies here so well whether it's smart contracts or less uh, sophisticated tools very often you have to come up with them you have to create them you have to build them which is a distraction from you know building a business so you always have these kind of trade-offs to do which makes it super hard super hard Makes a lot of sense. And last question here, I know we're up on time. If we zoom out into the future, what's the five-year vision for Maltese? Well, we want to be the, the golden standard for any Web3 companies willing to build. I'd say further, we want to be the financial backbone of the Web3 economy. That's what we want to build. Nice. I love it. All right. So let's wrap. But before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go? Well, we do have a Twitter channel, even though, like I mentioned, we're not the best you know, at it. We say so it's, it's Maltese HQ, very simply. Maltese.com is actually a good source of information. We share a lot of things there, including all the challenges we have building the product. And we will be increasingly communicated on like founders' topic, like fundraising, people management, on those channels as well as LinkedIn. So this is the best place to find us. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and share what you're building and you share your vision. It's all super exciting and wish you the best of luck as you execute on this vision. Thanks so much for having me, Brent. All right. Keep in touch.